in Acts chapter 8. Okay. Next week, I'm preaching a brand new sermon. Never been preached before from the Church in the Book of Acts series. This is as far as I've ever made it. I've preached this sermon series twice before this. Let me just uh, remind you that we've been looking at the church in the book of Acts. I was inspired to bring my church as a pastor, to bring my church to what? To a biblical model. Think that's okay? That's a good idea, isn't it? That's what I thought. I thought it was a good idea. The first two churches I pastored didn't think that was a good idea. Because when you look in the church in the book of Acts, you see the church the way God designed it. And it forces us, if we're, if we're listening to the Spirit, to ask ourselves this question. How well do we match up to the model of how the body of Christ is supposed to function? That's what we see in the book of Acts. When we, when we look at this church in the book of Acts, we answer to God if we will do what is necessary to be the church that God's called us to be. And I am proud as your pastor to be able to preach to you, to look you in the eye, to have you look right back at me and amen what you've been seeing in the church in the book of Acts. So I commend you. Acts chapter 8, the first eight verses. Read with me. And Saul was there giving approval to his death, that is Stephen's death. On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did... They all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Today we're going to see the church in the book of Acts, suffering yet surviving. Because God is a great God, isn't he? And even though we go through trials and tribulations, even though we have suffering we have a promise, don't we? We will survive. Do you believe that? You are going to survive. You are a spirit being that is eternal. You will last forever. Not your body, but your spirit. And even though you go through some suffering, you will survive. If you're on God's side, you're going to go from victory to victory. There may be a valley in between those two mountaintops, but you're going to go from victory to victory. You're going to survive. And I want you to see the church in its suffering and in its victorious surviving. Look at the suffering. Verse 1 says, on that day. That's the day of Stephen's death. On that day. When Stephen was stoned, he looked up to heaven and he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The people covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And Saul was there. The witnesses, those people who, who testified against Stephen, 
told lies about his gospel that he was preaching. They laid their clothes, their, their coats, at the feet of the young man named Saul. They took their coats off so they could hurl stones at him. And while they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. But Saul was there giving approval to his death. It's, it's an amen. That's where Saul was. He was amening the death of Stephen. And on that day, a persecution, a great persecution broke out. Now, we've seen the church in the book of Acts in persecution. The apostles were dragged before the Sanhedrin, the rulers of the church. And they were told and threatened do not speak in the name of Jesus. Don't spread this faith anymore. Don't talk about the resurrection of the man we killed. Or did we say that out loud? They don't, want to, they don't want to be held responsible for the death of Jesus, but Stephen preached it straight and true. Right between their eyes, he said, you killed him. But God raised him from the dead. And he's got a great message there. And it drove them to madness, so they stoned Stephen. And on that day, the day of his death, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea. So there was a persecution. On that day, the suffering looked like persecution. It was a great persecution, Luke tells us, the writer of this book. A great persecution broke out. And the, the Bible says there was a scattering of all the people. All, all, but all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And probably it refers to not the whole church, but uh, perhaps those Gentile believers who you might remember in Acts chapter 2 were gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Many people traveled to the temple to make uh, their pilgrimage there. And they weren't from Jerusalem. They weren't from Judea and Israel. But they stayed there because they were added to the church. They got, they got filled with the Holy Spirit and be, decided to belong to this church and stay there. That's why there was a need in the church for the widows, the Grecian widows and the Jew widows. There were people who were homeless and they needed a place. So they had this habit of going from house to house and, and staying together. They were, they were, there was a community there. And now that there's this great persecution breaking out, it scatters all but the apostles. The apostles are not scattered. They have suffered under this persecution, not a great persecution before what we saw in... Uh, Acts chapter 4, but their persecution was something that they faced, and they came out victorious. And I imagine, I can do that because I've got the microphone, and I'm a licensed preacher, so I can do this. I imagine these apostles see this great persecution, and they say, with their jaws squared and their shoulders set, we've faced this before, and no one is going to take this away from us. There are people who are going to run away and hide. People like Stephen were stoned. Most scholars believe that the greatest percentage of people that were scattered were those people like Stephen and Philip that, were, that we read about, and we'll see next week in the sermon. Those chosen to lead in the church who weren't the 12 apostles. 
Those 12 apostles had been tried by the fire and they came out like gold. They couldn't be touched. The, uh, those who persecuted the 12 apostles, when they called them before the courts, all they could do to them was hit them with little sticks, flog them, and warn them. Point their bony fingers at them and say, don't you dare anymore. You do what I tell you. Naughty, naughty. Slap on the wrist. That was nothing. I think the 12 apostles said, we can take this. They're not going to touch us because we've been with Jesus. We're his apostles. We've stood the test. We're not leaving. No matter what they do, we're staying here. They stayed. But there was a great number. I imagine the Gentile believers and certainly those who were teachers like Stephen and Philip Deacons who were chosen because of their spiritual lifestyle. They rose up as teachers and preachers, and they were victims of this persecution. So they were scattered. The Bible says in verse three that, that uh, in verse two, that godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. There was grief. The suffering on that day, the day of Stephen's death, was a great persecution and a great scattering. There was also a great grief. There was grief at the funeral of Stephen. The Bible says that godly men buried him. The Christians were suffering, and the Bible says the church was suffering. When one of our members suffers, then we all suffer. That's unity in the body of Christ. That's the way our unity ought to be. And thank you, Ruby, for bringing to us a remembrance of a, of a person who has passed on. Because we as a body need to feel that grief and take upon ourselves and pray for that family and carry this burden. And, and help them with it. There was grief at the funeral of Stephen because uh, he had died. He was a great uh, force in the church in the book of Acts. And third, uh, verse 3, the suffering was not only that, but it, but it was violence. Verse 3 says, But Saul began to destroy the church. He began to destroy the church. The Greek word there for destroy is ravaged or lay waste. You get in your mind the ferocious wild animal ravaging a carcass. That was Paul. That was Saul from Tarsus. This man that we'll be introduced to in a greater way later on in the book of Acts, but here is the second time his name has been listed. He's a young man. He's been trained by Gamaliel, one of the Sanhedrin who said that just beat these men and don't fight against God. Paul has taken his teacher's teaching and gone to another level. He wants to take the fight to these people that he thinks are a false religion, the way they're called, Christians. And so he brings all of the destruction that he can to destroy this church, this movement. It's violent, ravaged and laid waste like a wild animal ravaging a carcass. He went in without reservation from house to house. He dragged off men and women. He had no re respect of people. Even women he put in prison. He ravaged and laid waste the church. This is the church suffering like we've never seen it. 
but someday we'll see it again if you believe what the book of Revelation says. Turn to your to the book of Matthew chapter 11. Keep your finger right there in Acts chapter 8. I want you to see violence in the church the way Jesus saw it. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12, Jesus is speaking about John the baptizer. He says, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there is not, verse 11, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And verse 12 says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. There is a suffering that the church is going to go through. There is a violence that is happening in the church from the day that it was originated, from the seed of the church when John started preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is, has, is at hand. And Jesus carried on and told his believers to gather in Jerusalem and stay there until they receive power from on high, a power that would enable them to be witnesses throughout the earth. From those days until now, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence or forcefully advancing. There's two ways to look at that, that it's suffering violence and that violence is coming against it. But I think Jesus has in mind that forcefully advancing is that we are taking our mission and going forward, and we're going to have to press into it. Forceful men lay hold of it, Jesus says. John was one of those forceful men. Jesus was one of those forceful men. And the 12 apostles who stayed in Jerusalem to keep this church together and moving forward were forceful men laying hold of the kingdom of heaven. There's going to be violence. There's going to be suffering in the last days in the church. Pray that we won't be part of it. Pray that the rapture will happen before all that violence happens. But forceful men must lay hold of this church. You want to be a part of the church of the book of Acts? Then you need to be like John the Baptizer. You need to be the kind of person that Jesus described in John the Baptizer. Forceful men laying hold of it. If you stub your toe at the church against one of these pews, are you going to quit and go away? If somebody steps on your uh, feelings, are you going get to get your feelings hurt and go pack up and go somewhere else? If somebody asks you to do something that you just don't want to do, are you going to say, well, that's enough for me, I'm leaving. <laughs> if somebody offends you, I've offended some of you, and I apologize. Are you going to get up and leave because the pastor's not perfect? Are you going to abandon the ship? Are you going to be like what Jesus said, forceful men, laying hold of it? It's going to take you and I rising up with strength and power that only comes from the Holy Spirit because what you've got is not enough. Because we have a spiritual enemy, spiritual wicked forces in, in the heavenly realms. Those are realms that you and I can't deal with except by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we need that power. From the days of John the Baptist until now, 
the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. Are you going to be one of those people like the disciples who squared their shoulders and said, no matter what, we're staying in this church. Even if we're scattered, we're taking the church. We're taking it with us. Because those who, who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. They were suffering yet surviving. I'll show you what George Truitt, the pastor of uh, First Baptist Church in Dallas and the Dallas Theological Seminary, one of their great <clears throat> presidents, said this. The early church wanted to stay in Jerusalem, but that was not God's plan. It's never his plan. The early church at Jerusalem wanted to tarry there and enjoy the religion, but their testimony was needed by a lost world. Millions sat in darkness who needed to be told of a great light and a great Savior. Are we a part of the church that wants to just sit and enjoy, <laughs> tarry there and enjoy our religion? I'm afraid the church in America is that way. We think it's our duty to come to church and uh, sit in the pew and have a good time. And I'm, I'm all for having a good time. How about you? I think Jesus likes to have fun. I think God is the originator of joy. And so we're going to enjoy our church service. But are we supposed to stay here? Is that God's plan for us? It is never his plan, George Truett says. And I agree. I agree that there are times when a pastor comes in and builds the congregation up and God calls them away. Does that mean the work is done? No, that means it's time for forceful men to rise up from these pews and take a place in the leadership of the church. Maybe you'll rise up. Maybe you'll be the next pastor. Maybe you'll be the right arm man. Maybe you'll be the youth pastor. Maybe you'll be one who rises up and says, let's choose a better pastor. Could it be? You better get a better pastor the next time. That's progress. There's a better one out there. Believe God for victory, for advancing. That's what advancing means. It is never God's plan for us to stay. It is God's plan for us to go, isn't it? Some have come from this church and left and gone to the mission field. Some have left this church and gone to other ministries. That's the plan of God, that we not stay, but that we go. You have a purpose. When God releases you, you go. If God hasn't released you, then you better lay hold with force the kingdom of God that God's put in your hands. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. I don't want the church to play tiddlywinks. I want it to forcefully advance. Because our testimony is needed by a lost world. Do you realize those people who've never heard Jesus' name, who don't understand the gospel, they are not going to make it to heaven. They're not going to join us just because they've never heard. They have to hear. How can they be saved unless they hear the gospel? And how can they hear the gospel unless someone goes and preaches the good news to them. It's our duty, it's God's plan for us to go and tell them. Millions sing in darkness who need to be told of a great light and a great Savior. Tell everyone. 
Now we looked at the church in the book of Acts suffering. That's the first three verses. Now verses 4 through 8, I want you to see the survival mode. They don't go into hiding in survival mode. Look what they do in their survival mode. There's evangelism and great joy. The two things I see in surviving. Think of surviving like this. If we're going to, if we're going to be the church that God's called us to be and we're going to survive, this is what surviving needs to look like. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. There was evangelism going on. Praise God, when suffering happens, we don't have to shut down. We don't have to be quiet. God's telling us what we should do when we suffer. We need to get louder. Get broader. Go out. If it's a little uncomfortable here, if it's a little too confining for your ministry here, branch out. Do what God's calling you to do. When they suffered, they took the gospel out. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. I want you to hold your place there and go forward to Acts chapter 11, and you're going to see the rest of chapter 8 and 9 and 10 are stories that are kind of like a parenthesis. What happened between Acts chapter 8, verse 8, and Acts chapter 11 is the voice of two men, Philip the deacon, and Peter, the apostle of Jesus, who go out and, and spread the word. And chapter 11, verse 19, really kind of picks up at Acts chapter 8, verse 8. So we see a parenthesis in the stories of Philip and Peter. We'll look at those as we go through the book of Acts. But look at chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. You see how? We've picked right up where we left off in Acts chapter 8. So understand that these who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Luke tells us in chapter 11 that those who had been scattered uh, went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. About 50-mile radius here. And they told the message only to the Jews. So flip back to Acts chapter 8 and understand the context. Those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went, but they were really targeting the Jewish audience. They weren't taking the gospel to the world yet. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. Evangelism is the kind of surviving that Jesus wants us to have. They, they needed to be out there doing the work and the will of God. What was it that Jesus told them to do? In the Great Commission, part of what, what our mission, what our mission statement says, we are here, we exist to reach the lost. And we're going to reach the lost here. Isn't that where we ought to start? Why should we win the lost in Africa when there are neighbors and friends and relatives right around us? A community that's lost and dying and going to hell as well. Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem. He said, go into all the world and proclaim the good news. In Jerusalem, beginning in Jerusalem, that's a starting point. You've got to have a place to start, don't you? Have you made a start to evangelize? 
Now, hopefully, it won't take suffering for you to get on the bandwagon and do what God's telling you to do. But I'm here to tell you as a father, God, our Heavenly Father is not... He's not above pushing you out of the nest to get you to learn to fly. Some of you have been in the nest a little too long. You should be flying by now on your own, but you need somebody to nudge you and get you out of the nest. Some of you need to be teaching Sunday schools. And there's a growing need in our church for people who will rise up and teach the children, teach the new converts, teach the singles, teach the marriage, teach the old people, teach the young people. I wasn't looking at you, Martha, but if it fits, okay. I give you a hard time. <clears throat> They're finally beginning to fulfill the Great Commission. It wasn't God's will for them to stay in Jerusalem with the gospel. They were to stay there until they got the power to be witnesses, and then Jesus told them the, the way to go. Go from Jerusalem to Judea. Jerusalem's the city. Judea is the state. Understand the concentric circles that God told them. Then Samaria. Samaria is another state outside of Judea. It's farther in the concentric circles. It's farther out. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this persecution drove them to fulfill the Great Commission. What's it going to take to drive you to fulfill the Great Commission? Start where you are. Once you give the gospel, once you pray with the lost and and lead them to Christ. That's something you get a taste of. You don't want you don't want to let go of that. You want to give the gospel to everybody. You want other people to experience that great power of God. You want others to experience salvation. And it needs to grow and grow and grow. They've begun to fulfill the great commission. Of all the things, think about this, of all the things the church could be doing. The one thing that is required is evangelism. Of all the things we could be doing, making programs, doing activities, having fundraisers, there's nothing wrong with programs. I want Royal Rangers and Missionettes for boys and girls, a program by the Assemblies of God established to reach the boys and girls of our community and the world, in fact. I want that program here, don't you? Do you think our boys and girls need a program in our church? I do. There's nothing wrong with that program. That's a great program. I want the youth to have a program, a schedule, and a plan to reach the lost, to bring the young people in, to get them on fire for God, to send them out into the world to preach the gospel. That's a program that we want to have. Nothing wrong with programs. Nothing wrong with planning these good things. Nothing wrong with activities like our back-to-school party. There's posters back there in the back. There's about four piles of them. What we want to do is take them to the convenience stores and post offices in our area. In the other communities around, let's put them up. I'll take some to Jeff City, and you take them in your direction. You take them in your direction. You take them in your direction. Would you do that? Would you commit to do that? Put these posters up. Ask for permission in the post office and the convenience stores in your area. And... Uh, we're going to get the gospel out. We've got an activity plan. Nothing wrong with a back-to-school party where we will reach children and teenagers. All of our young people from our community are invited to enjoy 
what we've got planned, and what we've got planned is the gospel. We're going to get them here by hook and crook. Nothing wrong with it. We're going to do good things. We're going to give them things that will help them in their education, help them in their life, build them up, give them a hand up. And nothing wrong with fundraisers. Some churches preach a lot of money, and the church needs money. Of all the things we could be doing, the one thing that's required, what did God tell us to do? He didn't tell us to make programs. He didn't tell us to raise money. He told us to evangelize. And if you build a program and evangelism is part of it, then by all means do it. If you're raising funds and those funds are going to go for evangelism in some way, by all means do it. Because that's the one thing that's required is evangelism. We need to get that through our heads that we're not to stay here, but our testimony is needed in the lost world. We better be evangelizing. That's why it's the first thing that we say is our mission at Living Faith, Russellville Assembly of God. We're here to reach the lost. First of all, we're not here to worship God. Sorry, Michelle, the worship... The great singing, the great songs are not the priority here. Reaching the lost is the priority. We'll do it through the worship. It's not to build programs. That's not our first priority. To give you opportunities to grow in your spirit. The priority is for you to go out and evangelize. And so George Truett, I remind you again what he says in his sermon in the salt of the earth. He says, we are not in the world for an easygoing time. We're in the world on serious business. A church dare not drift into selfish isolationism. That's not Christ's plan. He wants us to witness near and far carrying a message which angels might covet to bear. And listen to what he says. Woe to the church. Woe to the deacons. Woe to the Sunday school teachers. Woe to the parents if they seek to settle down in their Jerusalem and be selfish and satisfied. That attitude develops divisions and discord in the church. It is not God's plan for a church to settle down to an easygoing, self-developing existence. What we are to do in survival mode while we're here on earth is not to shut ourselves in and try to build ourselves up a self-developing existence, an easy-going, settled-down church. I want a church that's fired up. How about you? Ruby, you want a church that's fired up? I'd like this church to be fired up every Sunday. Ruby would come every Sunday if it was fired up every Sunday. She's got places she goes, and it gets fired up. Ruby, bring it here more often, would you? We need to be fired up here. We're not to get comfortable here. We're here. There may be some suffering going on, and our survival mode needs to kick in, and we need to get excited about the mission that God's given us. What are we doing for our kids? Michelle got excited a week ago and said, I think we need to do this. And I'm wore out. And my wife says, oh, no, not another thing that we can't do. Well, we know we can do it, but... She's understanding that we're just kind of limited. But are we? I'm not limited by anything but this old body. I just need more of God, and you need more of God. You need to get involved. 
Let's do something exciting. My grandma lived this way. She was always going 90 miles an hour. When she walked, she walked fast, and she was 90 years old. She was still walking. She walked out in front of a pickup truck, and that was the end of walking for her. But all through her life, everybody that knew Bernice Van Cleve remembers her as a woman going 90 miles an hour. She was always going forward and fast. And I don't know if this was her motto, but I heard somebody say, I'd rather burn out than rust out. And some of you here, I'd rather see you burn out than rust out. I don't want to see anybody uh, get so stressed out that they, they're just burned out. But if I have my choices, I'd rather you do something while you're, while you're going down. <laughs> I'd rather you get something done and burn yourself out, wear yourself out, than do nothing at all. There's a happy medium in there somewhere. I think we'll find it. But for me, and I'm living this out, aren't I, Michael? I'm, I'm going to burn out. But I, trust me, I will not rust out. I want to do something for God. Let's get on board. Let's get involved. Let's do something that's evangelical instead of getting comfortable and easygoing. I don't want Christianity to be easygoing. Do you? If you've got easygoing Christianity, the devil's not scared of you. And you're getting nothing done. I hope when you get to heaven, you won't have a... a a dirty sock that you pull pull out your towel and say, look, here it is, just the way you gave it to me. Oh, well, I mean, it's been buried for years, but that didn't go well with that person that got that talent. He wasn't, in, he wasn't given a reward of heaven. He was given a different reward. It was a punishment. We're not in the world for an easygoing time. They were surviving through evangelism. They went out. Those who had been scattered. If, if this doesn't work out for you at Russellville Assembly of God at Living Faith, don't, don't tuck your tail between your legs and go away and never serve God again. Go out and preach the gospel where you are. If you can do it better, then do it. How about that? If you can find a better church and it meets your needs, go. Get on fire for God and do something for him. They had evangelism. That was their survival mode. Think about that. Let's get in survival mode at Living Faith. Let's start evangelizing. The churches in Russellville are trying. We've got a good uh, ministerial alliance. We've got good leadership there. They're trying. But I'd say we're we've got the brakes on. Somebody's locked the brakes and we're trying to drive forward. Let's let the brakes loose at Living Faith in Russellville, Assembly of God. Let's let the brakes loose and go great guns. Let's have evangelism all the time until they start talking about us. Man, this church over there is always doing something. That's the will of God. And think about what it says there in verse 8, Acts chapter 8, verse 8. All these miracles were happening under this deacon, not a preacher. This man was chosen in Acts chapter 6 with Stephen and, and five other guys to pass out the bread. But he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He was, a, he was a man who was tested, and his faith was tried and pure. And when he was scattered, he preached in, a, in the state of Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. And verse 8 says, so there was great joy in that city. Survival mode is evangelism and great joy. Think about that. That's survival mode the way you've been thinking about it? Not me. 
That's survival mode the way God wants it. God wants you, you to be excited about what you're doing. You may be in survival mode. You may be hanging on till we get to heaven. Is it, is it that kind of survival where you're preaching the gospel wherever you go? That you haven't let loose? You're holding on as a forceful person? Have you laid hold of it? Have you got the great joy? Are you seeing great joy in that city? When you give out the gospel, you're going to see great joy. Russellville, to me, when I drive into it, looks like if it was a face, it would be a sad face. There's a lot of depression here. There's a lot of wrong in Russellville. There's a lot of oppressed down people. Let's make Russellville a smiley face. Let's take the gospel to this community and brighten it up. When Jesus is there, there's light. The light of the world is here. Let's let the light shine in this darkness that's all that hovers over this community. The drugs, the alcohol, the depression, the, uh, the people that are out of work, the young people that aren't going to make it in life because of the education system. We need to bring the light to it. We need to get the gospel out there. We need to get people saved, and there will be great joy in this city. Do you want that for your community? This is your community. Let's take the gospel. That's the answer. It's not another program. It's not another plan. It's not more money. This community doesn't need more money. This community needs Jesus. And when they have Jesus, they've got enough. They've got everything they need. God will give them more money because he wants to bless them. He wants them to rise up out of their poverty and be able to get to a place where they can give so the mission can go on. That's what he desires. It's God's desire for great joy to be in this city. They heard Philip's message. It brought great joy. We don't have a message that, that takes people to sorrow. We have a message that brings people to joy. When you got saved, when you heard the gospel, were you sad or glad? <laughs> yeah, you were. That's, that's not even the right word for it, is it? Joy is a better word. The weight of the world is lifted off. They heard Philip's message, and great joy came to that city. They received the miracles. Look what happened with shrieks. Evil spirits came out of many, and many people who were paralyzed and crippled were healed. So then there was great joy in that city because he preached the gospel and because God did miracles. There was great joy. What would happen if the worst sinner in Russellville got saved? There'd be some great joy, wouldn't there? There'd be one family, maybe two or three families connected to that man or woman. The worst sinner in Russellville got saved. There'd be great joy in a few households. And it would spread, wouldn't it? Yeah, because we don't keep secrets around here, do we? <laughs> they spread fast. That's what we're hoping about our back-to-school party. We hope it spreads fast. They heard Philip's message, and they received the miracles. Jesus didn't say the preacher does miracles. Jesus said, whoever believes after him will follow. That means you got up and you went somewhere, didn't you? These signs will follow those who believe. They will pray for the sick and they'll be healed. They'll cast out demons. They'll perform miracles. How many are believers here? Be careful, you're going to raise your hand. 
you're a believer, these signs should follow those who believe. Maybe you need to believe a little bit more. Help my unbelief is an acceptable prayer. Help my unbelief. When you meet somebody, maybe you go to the hospital and you, you meet somebody, pray for them. God's going, God wants to do miracles. And he's not going to do miracles until we take these hands and these feet and go so that those signs and wonders can follow us. Are you a believer? Let's get out of our little comfort zone. Let's take the gospel out there. Before suffering happens to us, let's get about the work of the master. He told them before the suffering to go into all the world. But they were, they were there and they were comfortable and it was easy. And God's not above forcing you out of your comfort zone. If you're a little bit uncomfortable at Russellville, Assembly of God, if you're a little uncomfortable in living faith, maybe God's trying to get you out of your comfort zone. Maybe God's pressing you to go out and do what he's telling you to do. Would you do it? Bow your head with me. God, we're your people, called by your name. We're your church. We want to look like this church in the book of Acts. And in some ways, we sense that we do look this way. Lord, we're not asking you to help us to suffer. But I believe that no matter what happens, God, you're going to be with us. You've promised to never leave us or forsake us. If this community comes down hard on us and says we're preaching way too much, we're doing way too much, we're touching too many people's lives, we're bringing this gospel that's changing our culture. If it gets a little uncomfortable, God, help us to be assured what you said about John the baptizer, that this kingdom must be held on to by forceful hands. Lord, help us. Help us to rise up out of our comfort zone and do what you've told us to do, to survive. Help us to, to be the church in survival mode. That is taking the gospel to the world and bringing the joy that comes from salvation. Oh, Lord, I'm asking you to bring people to Christ. I'm asking you, Lord, to change homes because salvation happens. God, would you help us to be witnesses? We are witnesses of these things. You've changed our life. Now help us to take what we've been freely given and give it away free, generously, often, liberally. Lord, help us to give and give and give the free gospel that we've received. Lord, there's no reason why we can't do more. Because you've called us to take the gospel to the world. Help us to do it. In the name of Jesus. Is God stirring your heart today? Is God moving inside of you and you can't hold back? You can't, you can't sit still. Come to this altar. Pour it out before him. He's got the strength that you're going to need. Would you come forward? You're going to need the strength of God to do the work of God. In your survival mode, you need more of Jesus. And you know where you're going to get it? At the altar. Could you get it sitting there in your seat? Maybe. But I bet if you come forward, you'll know that you know that you've met with God. Come up here and shut yourself in with God. Get all that God wants for you. Get all that God has for you. We're not going to be able to do this in our own strength. The work in Russellville is too great. The light's been out for too long. The darkness is too dark for you and I in our own little candle, in our own little light. We need 
the flame of God. We need to be set on fire from God. Oh, Lord, bring your people to a place where we're not comfortable anymore, where we're willing to to suffer if that's what it takes to get the gospel out, where we're willing in the middle of our suffering to keep on doing the work that you told us to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Suffering and surviving. Lord, that's what we want to be. We want to be the church that survives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of our God. Praise the name of our God.